What if cybersecurity didn't have to look like lines of code to service members and instead look like an interesting tableau of visualizations? The Navy is working on that right now. It's trying to gamify cybersecurity to make intrusions more noticeable through real-life visualizations of ships and other assets. The National Security Innovation Network held a hackathon last week looking for ideas on how to make cybersecurity most accessible. Federal News Network's Scott Mossioni spoke with the technical director of cybersecurity at the Navy Information War Systems, Rachel Bondi. I was hired into the DOD from industry. And I was on the original Xbox launch team and have been part of games, media, and entertainment for many years. When I came here, I was looking into cyber data analytic fabrics for uh, the Navy and for the uh, JICWA Joint Defense. And it occurred to me that if we took that data and married it to some ideas like AR and VR and concepts that came out of the, uh, the game world that we would have uh, a really interesting uh, modernized solution for the warfighter. So you've created this contest, you've had people come in, and what specifically were they looking for in terms of improving you know, these sorts of technologies that you were just talking about? We actually launched a, a new data fabric called Spinnaker into the joint environment in the one year that I've been here. And I'm very grateful to my team for doing so. Um, This hackathon was uh, meant to be the chance to get ideas out of the community. We really are leaning forward into uh, community activities here. We've done several hackathons this year, several contests multiple engagements with San Diego CCOE and NSIN. And this one was meant to yield us some very good candidates for looking at how you would gamify cyber defense. So in other words, if you look at cyber defense right now, you have teams and you have coalition partners that are created and disband. You have adversaries and you have the attempt to uh, defend assets in an environment that is very uh, complex. And so for me, that was very akin to what you might see in a massive multiplayer game. I was interested in taking the back end that we've built and being able to display that to basically people who are coming out of high school or college and into the military at a young age who are very familiar with games and gameplay and wanted to maybe see a way to do cyber defense with those visualizations. So that was the goal. And we were able to find some winners in the startup environment and in the university. Could you tell me a little bit about what you got out of this? I'm looking at some of the companies that came through, what did these technologies look like and why did they appeal to you? The technologies had different pieces. So we had uh, people putting forth AR and VR solutions uh, and we had people putting forth 2D solutions. We had uh, the ideas of voice command and control We had uh, different candidates looking at it from a a training perspective. We had some looking uh, at it from a live ops perspective. And um, we had several candidates who 
We're working with with the government already on other solutions, apply their solutions to the cyber scenario. And could you just explain maybe what it's like to sort of create this cybersecurity in a game environment? You know, like what exactly might cyber people be seeing as they're doing one of these situations or doing one of these quote unquote games? Cyber defense is based on asset protection. And so what they would be looking at is real assets that the Navy has and how we would defend them in a, in a joint security environment for cyber operations. So some of the visuals that people came up with were actual digital twins of ships. They uh, came up with images that you might see in HoloLens or Oculus using Unity. Uh, they had different, several different solutions for uh, visualizing uh, even signals within the air for communications, the, the assets themselves, uh, visualizations of uh, when an attack was occurring, how to identify that and pull out those different responses, which would normally be seen as lines of code or or, or thousands of logs sitting at a, a desktop. It, it, it really brought it to life. And then there's there's also a autonomous and AI aspect to this. And could you explain that a bit? Because I know that that's something that the Defense Department and you know the military services are really trying to invest in a lot. Cyber defense, like kinetic defense, we need to have some sort of human-computer interaction. Um, but in this case, we had candidates coming up with um, artificial intelligence to uh, promote gameplay aspects, uh, to be able to set rules for players. We had um, artificial intelligence for understanding how to protect the various assets. So there were several different applications of how our artificial intelligence or what I call cognitive cyber would apply. Could you just give us a little bit of an idea of uh, you know how you scored this, how you looked at, at each of these companies and what really appealed to you as you were going through this, this uh, contest? The judges were uh, chosen ahead of time and we had um, several people with inside our organizations take a look at the, the people who had joined the hackathon. We had over 200 people joining in and were able to reduce that to a list of four uh, startups and four sets of um, university-based solutions. Traverse and C-Signal and Cyber Operation Metaverse um, with SimBlocks, uh, Teleseer were uh, several candidates that were finalists out of that. And then uh, the judges were able to take a look at the maturity, the presentation, uh, the application to, to cyber and make their decisions. So from the university side, we had four great teams as well. And um, the cyber cop solution um, was uh, the leader in that. Rachel Bondi, Technical Director of Cybersecurity at Navy Information War Systems, speaking with Federal News Network Scott Mossioni. Check out Scott's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up 
through the government, ultimately becoming the chief human capital officer at the Department of Homeland Security. He's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader? And what about them inspired you? You I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all. But, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, and uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League Baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had a wad of tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually, I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, uh, whether you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment. And, and, and he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was, I think, my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that, that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And I, and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind, that, that what we say and do, admit, especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style? And, and how has that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared, you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my, my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than, than so much on results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards 
two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and, and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2 of Social Security Administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. It's, that's That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the Social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office, and lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, from there, I went to the Department of Defense, and I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of the Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership, because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, from hi historical to current, uh, current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I, I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.